Uh, well, good morning again. Uh, my name is Shibuya. I know there's quite a few visitors. I've, I met you today briefly. Welcome. It's a great joy and privilege to have you here at Canterbury. Uh, normally what we've been doing as we've been exploring the book of Exodus, we as a church have been taking our time through it and uh, kind of considering what God has to say through his holy scriptures, the Bible. Uh, and what that means that is that we come to a section of Exodus and we're covering Exodus chapter 7 to chapter 11. You like sound very excited about it. Great. <laughs> Uh, so what that means is normally we have um, people come up and read through the scriptures and we value that this morning we're not going to be doing that what I'm going to do is uh, try as best as possible and with God's help uh, to highlight uh, some of the key things some of the big picture ideas and so this morning what we want to consider is this uh, this question, this age-old question, we've already started it in the very start of Exodus, which is, who is the Lord? Now, it sounds very form- formal. Another way to put it is, who is God? Not just any God, who is the God of the Bible? And, and maybe you need to consider is, who is God to you? What's your picture and idea of who God is? Uh, is he someone who's so distant, far away, uh, not involved in every detail of life? Uh, or is he someone that is involved in every single detail? Who are you? Where, do you? where does your heart and mind go? This morning, we want to discover who God is, but particularly, we want to discover how God reveals himself and who he is through the Bible. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, um, please, there's up the back there, there's some Bible that you can grab. It's yours. It's a free gift to you. Uh, we're going to be spending our time in Exodus chapter 7 to 11. So if you have a Bible, please grab that, turn there, uh, and we're going to be spending some time in that. With that in mind, would you join with me again as we continue this time of worship, as we pray to God? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and is to come. Father in heaven, we come before you this morning, and you see every single heart and soul and mind. We ask that you would overwhelm us with the awe of who you are. Overwhelm our hearts with who you are. Oh, Lord, soften the hardest of hearts. Compel our wills to your will. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, This morning, we're going to see how we go with time. Up here on the screen, you'll see a mobile number. For those of us who are pranksters in our church, please do not try to call it. Don't try to SMS it, whatever you're thinking of doing right now. It is not my phone number, if you're going to try that. And the idea is... Thanks, John. Okay, gave it away. John Ramsden, one of the pastors, is mobile. Uh, The reason why we're doing that, we'll see how we go with time. Uh, There's going to be some things we're going to cover. Uh, If you have something that sticks out to you or a question that is not covered in the sermon, uh, we would encourage you to SMS and we'll see how we go this morning. 
We're coming to Exodus chapter 7 to 11, like I said, right? And if you've grown up in the church, you most likely have heard about these stories. Uh, Particularly if you went to Sunday school and, and you went to kids sort of programs, the story of the Exodus is something that people love sharing, I mean, maybe you were a young kid listening to it for the first time. Maybe you saw the movie, I don't know. But either way, as you are a young person listening to these stories, there's something that grabs you and you go, whoa, that is awesome. That is powerful. That is mighty. But if you're like me, as you get older and older and the seasons happen in life and, and, and these stories kind of become... Oh, yeah. Yep. I've heard that before. Uh, Maybe you're someone who's exploring the Christian faith. Uh, Maybe you're a bit skeptical about these things that are in the Bible, particularly the story that we'd be talking about today. Uh, When you read Exodus chapter 7 to 11, one of the things you'll notice is it almost sounds like a fantasy novel or one of those big productions in uh, in Hollywood movies. I want you to know in this church, we don't believe this is a fantasy story. We actually believe this actually happened. This is true. And not only that because it's true, it's that we believe because it's in the Bible. And the Bible for us is God's Word, which means that it is alive and active today. It actually applies for us today. It's not just a story to go, oh, that was pretty cool, but actually should apply into our hearts today. And that's what we've been praying for this morning. And as I shared with you, you hear about the plagues that are mentioned in these chapters, the plagues of Exodus, and maybe you have distant things and and you remember what certain plagues are and some aren't. I want to kind of catch up to us where we're up to in the story. Just previously in Exodus chapter 6, Moses um, has not really had a good time in that he's gone and told the people of Israel what God has asked him to, and they haven't responded really well. And now he's been asked to go and tell the Pharaoh. And if you read Exodus, you already know, Pharaoh's not quite keen to hear what Moses has to say. And so Moses turns around in Exodus 6 and says, God, I can't do this. You've got to remember, right? I'm not really good at speaking. Have a look with me in Exodus 7, verses 1 to 5, and God's response. Here is God's word. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of this land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. God has already been reminding over and over again to Moses and now those who would have been listening to the story that God is with him. And not only that, God has been saying to Moses, you are my representative. Now, I don't know if you picked that language, you're like a God to Pharaoh. It's a a pretty significant statement. What God is saying in that moment to, to Moses is say, you are my representative and in that you are going to be speaking what I speak. 
What you say is actually my commands. Yes, you are my prophet and Aaron, sorry, you are my messenger and Aaron will be next to you also conveying the same message. But notice what he says to Moses. Go, speak, follow my command, my words. My words are your words now, Moses. Not just words, they're commands, meaning that if you don't listen to this, if you do not obey it, you're actually in disobedience to the God of the universe. God makes it very clear that Pharaoh's heart will be by hardened. By who? By God himself. And not only that, Pharaoh will also harden his heart. We'll get to there. Now notice what is going to be God saying to Moses. This is what Pharaoh's response will be. Not only that, Pharaoh will actually not listen to you. And ultimately what that means is when Pharaoh's not listening to you, Moses, or Aaron, he's actually not listening to me, the God of the universe. And what is that? What happens then is an unveiling and a reeling of God's judgment on the people of Egypt. And also God's promise that he will deliver his people by these great acts. What's the purpose of these acts? These are described as acts of judgment. Why? We see that in verse 5. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Why is God going to these great lengths? And you will see that in these chapters. It is to show who God is. Not just to Egypt, and later on you will see, to the nations around Egypt. And in time, all these acts are stories you need to tell to your children, to their children, and their children of who God is and what he has done. Now, When you and I approach these kind of passages, particularly if you've grown up in the church, when you read things about plagues, it seems pretty distant when you're living here in Kilsyth, in Melbourne, in Victoria. When you hear and read things about God hardening someone's heart, there may be things that stir in you and you're already running to those things. We'll explain that in a minute. Whoever you are, what I want to invite you to do this morning is... To move away from looking at yourself or myself, but look to who God is. The God who has been declaring, I will, I will. So now God says to Moses, go. Go and tell, and this will happen. Because what God is saying in all of this, he's displaying who he is. He's displaying who he is. And in doing these acts of judgment... That is another display of, listen, I will show this king who does not believe in who I am, the great I am, that I am God by these mighty acts of judgment. Now, before we jump into the various plagues that are in these passages, we need to wrestle with this idea of Pharaoh's heart will be hardened. Now, we know, as we've been exploring Exodus, it's not the first time we're seeing this, right? God explains this in Exodus 4. It's a reminder again that through this very hardness of a person and through these signs, God will show that he is the one and only true God, the great I am. He is the creator of all things. 
In these passages, we have few things going on from the various plagues, and then you've got various reactions from the various people that are in the story. And remember, this is a true story. But as you read Exodus 7 to 11, there's this constant refrain. It's like a chorus repeating over and over and over again. I don't mind songs that repeat after and after again. I'm just letting you know. What is that refrain? If you flick across through these passages, you will see this. One, where the Lord will harden Pharaoh's heart. In Exodus 7, 3 to 4. In Exodus 7, it says, still Pharaoh's heart was hardened. In Exodus 7, 14, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. In Exodus 7, 22, so Pharaoh's heart remained hardened. In Exodus 8, 15, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them. Exodus 8, 19, there's another response, but this time Pharaoh's heart is hardened and he would not listen to them. Exodus 8, 32, but Pharaoh hardened his heart this time. Exodus 9, but the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. So it's not a test, by the way. Hopefully you'll get the theme. Exodus 9, but the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh's. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and thunder had ceased in Exodus 9, what happens? Yet again, he hardened his heart. Exodus 9, so the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. And then you have in Exodus 10, now the Lord says, I have hardened his heart. And again, in Exodus 10, later on, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Exodus 10, 27, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. In Exodus 11, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now remember how I said, uh, when you read these kind of passages throughout these chapters, there's something might stir in you. We may come at various angles on this. Maybe it's the first time you've actually even thought about it. See, in the story of Exodus, we've been reminded over and over again that the God of the universe has heard the cry of his covenant people, his people. He made a promise, a covenant with them. It started in Genesis. He remembers and hears their cry and he promises that he will deliver them. He's already stated who he is, that he is I am, that he is the Lord. And he knows this full knowledge. And so he sends Moses with this reality that in the kingdom of Egypt, that there is a man. He doesn't realize this because of his pride, that he is but a mere man, a mere mortal. But in that culture, in that context, he's declared himself as God. And his very heart and posture is bent on disobedience to the God of the Bible. And it is shown, firstly, by not letting the people go, but even more importantly, he turns around and says, I'm not going to listen to this God and his command. I am my own God. In this moment, God is actually displaying something even more of who he is. That he is the one who hears and hears the cry of his children, but he also knows the heart of every man. And he also will use that and will be involved in that to even harden the heart of Pharaoh to ultimately achieve his purpose. Here's a quote that I found really helpful by, by a guy called Paul Carter. It's up here on the screen. 
God is sovereign even over the hearts of human beings and can turn them and harden them in particular ways for the accomplishment of his divine purpose. In this very moment when God hardens Pharaoh's heart, he's showing who he is, who he's always been. And you know what? Moses is given this message to go and proclaim which is fascinating because God already knows what the reaction will be and God has already explained that I will harden his heart and God already knows that uh, what Moses is called to do, God already knows all the outcomes, but Moses is told to go. See, Pharaoh's uh, stubborn resistance and God hardening his heart is a display of, that God alone is the one who can and will achieve his purposes how he pleases for his glory. See, Moses, I wonder, you hear it throughout in Exodus. He says, I can't do this. What about my words? What, what if these signs, you know, they, and he keeps going back and forth. And I wonder if Moses wondered if it was based on his performance. No, see, what's going on? Moses is basically told one thing. Go, follow my commands. Obey. What we're seeing is two contrasts. You have one, the Pharaoh, who does not want to listen to the commands of God. And you have Moses, who is faithful and goes. See, there's a dual aspect is going on. If you hadn't picked it up already, you've got God hardening Pharaoh's heart, and then you've got this other effect of Pharaoh hardening his heart. See, it's a picture that some hearts will be softened by God's word. Some will believe and will be saved. Some will reject and will be lost forever. On a very um, human perspective, it looks like and sounds like there is a human choice. And this is why Exodus, you read that, right? Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. God hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. And you're like, what is going on here? Friends, either way, what's going on is the person who's behind all of this. The great sovereign God. The great I am. Who can soften and harden as he pleases. You'll find that later on, many thousands of years later, the Apostle Paul actually speaks about this particular passage in Romans 9. It's a moment for then and us. It's a commentary of saying, actually, God is the one who does as he pleases. But see, what God's doing in this moment is displaying his greater glory. It's showing that God is showing the very existence of Pharaoh And the hardening and all these things that are going on is to actually proclaim to the earth and the world around then and now that God alone is God and there is no other. That's why you see this picture of God hardening and Pharaoh hardening to reveal who God is. Now, You've got to remember, right, this is an ancient passage, an ancient moment. You've got the God of the universe. You've got this king who thinks that he is God, this king of Egypt. Now, when we talk about kings, uh, not, I'm not talking about the latest sort of Meghan Markle and Prince Harry stuff going on. Um, 
When we're talking about kings, it's sort of foreign for most of us. If you have not grown up uh, in this kind of um, culture, for a king like the Pharaoh, he was worshipped. In ancient times, he was worshipped as God. So this repeat language of the heart being hardened is significant. Uh, the heart of that time is a way of saying it's the controlling factor. Actually, for the, uh, the Egyptian sort of um, history, they believed in that history and society that this very heart controlled all things. And so they, one of their gods, or two of their gods, with the many gods that they worshipped, was Ra and Horus. Now, Ra and Horus were sovereign over everything. And this very pharaoh they saw as the very incarnation of God himself. So in this moment, they think he controls all things. When God makes a statement, he hardens. He's saying, no, no, no. Pharaoh is not in control. He's not in charge. I am. I am sovereign over all. That God has everything in his purpose. Nothing is out of his purpose or will, including the heart of a king, or including the heart of a queen, including the heart of a prime minister in Australia, including the state premier of Victoria. Now, like I said, it sounds like an ancient thing, and you might have things that are stirring in you already, but I want you to remember what this means for us today. As you come into Exodus with the various angles, I want you to pause for a moment and step back and focus who this is unpacking, not to lose sight of this who has already been saying over and over again that it will lead his people out of Israel. Who has? The Lord has. Who has been saying to Moses already, hey, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. I will harden his heart. The Lord has. This is actually about God revealing who he is. The God of the Bible is unfolding his plans as he would. So? Who is responsible for the hardening of heart? Did God harden Pharaoh's heart? Yes. Did Pharaoh harden his own heart? Yes. Is that frustrating for those of us who like black and white and everything in a neat box? Thank you. (laughs) Friends, that's the whole point. What do I mean by that? We as human beings are so tempted constantly to create this little box for the God of the universe and say, this is how you must work and do things. It's as old as the garden. God is not restricted like you and me. God is who said to Moses, I am who I am. God sets the terms. God is the one who sets his term. This is why God hardens, yet Pharaoh is responsible also for the rejection of the creator of the universe. It's more about the hardening. What it's revealing is who God is. In this moment, it's displaying that he is the great I am, the Lord of the universe. And remember, this refrain that will happen all throughout the Old Testament, the reason why God is doing all of this is as a witness to the nations around who are watching, watching this battle going on. And not only that, as I said earlier, the 
Jewish people were meant to continue to repeat the story. And you see that. You'll see that in the Psalms over and over again. It's like when God rescued us out of Egypt. This is what happened in Egypt. It's like a refrain over and over again. And this is why you have these verses surrounding the plagues. It's a fascinating moment as well and a challenge for all you and I. You know why? What I find fascinating is God goes and tells Moses to go and tell knowing and full, exactly knowing what's going to happen. I don't know about you. If I was Moses, I'd be going, wait, you're just telling me he's going to harden his heart? Uh, look, I know you're the God of the universe, but just checking in, did I get this right? You still want me to go tell? Yes. Are you sure about this? I don't know how you would talk to God. That's how I talk to God. Anyway, um... But see, what's going on here in this moment is not about God is telling Moses, and that's a wonderful reminder to all of us that the God of the Bible, if you believe in the God of the Bible, you too have been given a task. That is to proclaim who God is to whoever whoever it is. That might be for many seasons to that family member who keeps on just rejecting who God is. That work colleague, wherever it might be, over and over again, you just keep proclaiming, just keep proclaiming the good news of Jesus. We may not see anything. We may see much fruit, or we may never see anything in this lifetime. But we are commanded to do one thing. What? To be faithful with the message. And we are called to also then cry out to the God of the universe, the one who controls the hearts for mercy to soften the hardest of hearts, just as he has done in ours. And I know that this kind of thinking of God hardening his heart has been abused in churches and groups often. There are those of us who say, God has hardened his heart, God is sovereign, so I'll just sit back and do nothing. That mentality of let go and let God. Friends, just be careful with that. God being sovereign doesn't mean we just sit, we've got our ticket to heaven, now we just sit back and wait. It means joining him in his work because he alone knows the hearts of men and women. This also meant, whether intentionally or unintentionally, we feel that pressure, it's all up to us to do the work. It's all up to us to convert them. Dear friend, be careful. It is God's work. And this is why over and over again, people who have meant well are not willing to proclaim the fullness of the gospel, that there is a holy God, that he hates sin, that he is right and just, that he alone is God. And so we end up compromising on the good news of the gospel. Then there are the rest of us who struggle to consider and ponder that God hardens heart. I don't know about this, Shabu. My encouragement to you is to step back and to be reminded over and over again who God is. The Apostle Paul would write that God is the potter and you are the clay. It's a beautiful picture of he's the creator and we are the created. So we need to rest in who he is and his character, that he is good and everything that he says and does is always good and perfect. And ultimately, is to point people to him. That he alone is God and there is no other. This is who he is. And if you have that foundation, 
Now you have the plagues. Verses 7 to 11. How many of you guys loved looking at the plagues when you were growing up and trying to understand it? Two people. Great. Glad you're all excited. (laughs) This is going well. Crowd participation. Moving on. Now, like I said, it sounds like a fairy tale, right? And it becomes very familiar, particularly if you've grown up in the Christian church, you know. And, but what we're seeing, friends, is an escalation. It's a battle. It's not a battle where God's sort of needing to control things and he's going to lose. No, no. This is a battle of the sovereign God who is in charge, who is Lord over all, and Pharaoh at that time. You have the first sign. You've got the staff turning into a serpent. Now, a serpent and snake, uh, depending on the culture you've grown up in, I know in India, snakes are uh, worshipped and, and, and you know, there's a fear around them. Here in Australia, we either try to kill them or run away because there's so many of them. Um, here, a snake has authority. It's a power and image of authority and king. And here, you have two Israelites who come in and they, we've talked about the staff. They throw the staff and it becomes a snake. It's to show that the God of Israel is the true God, not Pharaoh. But it's interesting what happens in this moment. Pharaoh's magicians come in. Now, when we talk about magicians, this is not the kind of magician that you go to a little um, kid's party and they pull a rabbit out of the hat or anything, okay? These are magicians who are under demonic influence. So what they work that they're doing is demonic, it's evil, and they pull also a snake out, in a sense, it's a challenge. All right, God, show me who is your God. Let me show you who I am. In that moment, you see this picture. But see, as we've been unpacking, God knows he's in charge. He's the ruler of all. He allows this for the very purpose to display his glory. And what happens? In one gulp, the forgery are killed. And the many signs are kind of this whole picture again. The battle is continuing. You have in Exodus 7, the river of Nile turning into blood. The Nile was the lifeblood of the nation, not like the Yarra River here in Australia. The Egyptians worshipped the Nile. There was their gods, Oris, New and Happy. I don't know if I said that properly. The Nile turning into blood by God's hand is like saying, Look, Egypt, I've killed your gods. And now what happens? There's a mimic again. (laughs) They come to mimic it, but did you pick something up? They can't cleanse the river. There's only one who can. That is God alone, the creator, who can turn something into blood and uncreate. It's a beautiful display of who God is. Then you have frogs in chapter 8. I love this. This is my favorite one. If you can imagine your whole house jumping around with frogs all over, as you open the kitchen drawer and a frog jumps out, you go to the toilet, anyway, um, and there's frogs everywhere, right? But see, the frog was a picture, it's it's most likely a goddess, Uh, it's a picture of fertility, so they worshipped this goddess. Once again, God is saying, I'm the one who can make this happen, I am in control. It's a humiliating moment for the Egyptian gods and for Pharaoh watching and listening in. And so they once again copy it. But did you pick it up? They can't reverse it. If you can imagine a whole city and town having dead frogs everywhere and the smell of that. It's a laughing moment. If you're a little kid listening to this, as a little kid listening to the story, as mum tells you the story, how they got out of Egypt, it would be a funny moment. Yeah, look, they brought the frogs in, the Egyptian magicians. And look what happened. Made it worse. 
Then you have gnats, or potentially lies or mozzies, I said, in Exodus 8. Either way, they're swarming around, and this is potentially people also, once again, they worship these gods. Now this time, though, there's a change and shift in the story. The magicians notice something, and they can't replicate. Did you see that in Exodus 8? What did they say? Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. They're realizing, but yet Pharaoh's heart is hardened. And then you have the next plague about the flies. There's everywhere. But note this time, though, as you read that passage, the flies are everywhere, but except where? That's right. In the land of Goshen, where my people dwell, so no swarms of flies shall be there. This is a beautiful picture of who God is. The creator of the universe is not sparing his people from suffering, but what he's doing, it's a hint of what is to come, which we'll talk about next week. It's him sparing his children from the wrath that comes from him, unlike the Egyptians. It's God alone who can control flies to not go to one place and go to the other place. I wish he would do that sometimes when I went camping. But anyway. um, And then you have the next plague, the death of the livestock. Now, if you were down at Phillip Island, you would have seen on the news of the whale that was beached and the carcass that's there and everyone's waiting. I don't know what for, but they're waiting for this carcass to decompose or something. I I was looking for the dynamite to go in. But anyway. But imagine the stench and the blood and just gross. Now imagine for a moment a whole city having livestock just dropping dead. If you've been around any kind of cattle that has died, the smell is bad. Not only that, in the heat of the Middle Eastern sun. But remember, for the Egyptians, livestock is their livelihood. It is their life. But also they worshipped them, like the bull. And later on we'll find out who this bull is, right? The um, Israelites would worship. You've got boils coming in. This time, though, how it's coming is quite uh, significant. So Moses and Aaron go into the courts and they throw uh, soot. It's like an ash. It's It's a picture of blessing. That's what the magicians would have done. They would have gone into the courts and thrown this soot as a blessing to the to the gods that they worshipped. And now Moses is saying, here is it, and this is a judgment from the God of the universe. It's becoming intense. God is actually now attacking the false gods of Egypt and making it very clear in these statements. That's why now you move to hail, and the hail comes down. But in the midst of it, you also see the grace of God. In this moment, God speaks and says, Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Therefore, send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter, for every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when he Uh, when the hail hail falls on them. But hear what it says here. Verse 20, Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the house. But Pharaoh hardened his heart. You're seeing this picture of God's grace in the moment as well as he unleashes his wrath and judgment onto the land of Egypt. 
It is a picture again of God going against the gods of Egypt who they worship. This hail destroys everything. And you have that cycle. Warning, judgment. Warning, judgment. And you have the other plague of locusts. Everything that is green is being eaten up. Now, for the locusts, it's a significant statement for the Egyptians. They worshipped. They prayed to the gods to protect their fields from these kind of um, moments. And here is God sending plagues of locusts, and it's getting eaten up. It's a laughing moment of God's humiliating the gods of Egypt to say, your gods will not even protect you. And you move to darkness. Darkness was a symbol of death. This is why they worshipped the sun god in Egypt. And sunset represented death. And here we have this statement that the gods of Egypt cannot even protect their people because the God of the universe controls over all. For his heart is hardened, and then you are given a warning of one more judgment, a judgment that would achieve what God already said, one more plague. But notice about this final plague. There's no negotiation this time. This is what will happen. So far as heart is hardened by the Lord. But there is walking off spoils by the people of Israel. But notice what God says. This king who started to say, who is this great I am? I don't believe in this God of Israel. Actually, I don't care because I am God. In this final judgment, he will bow to Moses in defeat. It's a striking picture of defeat, ultimately bowing down to God. What is the point of all of this? That God is God and he alone is God. The Egyptians, like many other, put their hope in the things of this world. They're God. And before you and I shake our heads at those people, and particularly Egyptians in this story, you and I are also tempted to put our hope and trust in the gods of this world. We are also tempted to put our hopes in the gods of this world to bring us security, to bring us hope, stability, sustenance. And we might not have kings of the nation, but the kings of the nation might not directly say no to God, but we often hear statements like this, right? You and I have heard this in this season. We are a great nation. We can beat this virus. We will get this under control. We have beaten it. Friends, it's just another way of saying we are God. And you and I live in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia. Most of us can go to the supermarket and get whatever we want, whenever we want. For a moment, as you pick up that beautiful Nutella bar, do you stop for a moment and say, Lord, you're the one who's provided this. That moment when you get your paycheck that comes straight into your account, or maybe that bonus that you received for doing great this month, maybe that contract you finally landed Do you pause for a moment and go, Lord, you provided this for me? But how often when crisis hits do we say, Lord, help? Friends, the lesson of the plagues is a display that God alone is God. He's the same God that has been in the Bible, still is today, the God who provides for you and I. That the very existence of life is by his hand. 
Uh, the hardening of Pharaoh's heart is a display. God is displaying his glory and power to achieve his ultimate purpose for rescue. This is why the psalmist is saying that God is the one who says, the heavens declare the glory of God. And not only that, we as his image bearers are to bring glory to his name in everything in our lives. But We know sin has corrupted this. What we do as human beings, we're constantly tempted to grab the things that are created and to become worshippers of those things. And that is even to this day. One way to test that out is to ask, what do I constantly think on? What do I constantly consider about? How do I shift my every being and life for that very purpose? And I'm fearful of losing that, whatever that is. Or I will do whatever I can to get that. Friends, that is worship. And we are all tempted to do that. And we are all going to be in trouble if it wasn't for the grace of God. And this is why God has a plan for salvation. Did you know that God didn't only plan to save you, but he actually ultimately saved you for his glory? That you and I need a savior. We need Jesus Christ, the Lord God himself, the great I am was willing to enter the darkness and sin-filled world to be the one and only who could actually do this, the one who deserves every worship of him. He is willing to humble himself. Have a think about this for a moment, that the creator of the universe who has always existed, kneeling down to wash the dirty feet of human beings, the one who would go to the cross and die for you and I, the one as he hung on that cross. Do you remember what happened in the Gospel of Matthew? On the sixth hour, the darkness came over the land. The one who said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken? The reason why is because of your and my and our prideful heart that says we are God. Jesus becomes sin on our behalf, but praise be to God, because he is God. He was raised again on the third day, and this is true today. See, if you don't know him, we implore with you, we invite you to explore this God of the Bible. We pray that God will be merciful not to harden, but to soften your heart, that you would bow and worship to him. And if you know him, dear friends, Do you still see that the God of Exodus is still the same God today? And you and I need to remember, and particularly when we live in this pretty sort of comfortable Western world, we forget if you're a Christian, you are involved in a spiritual battle. The battle is still there. This is why the Apostle Paul would write to the Ephesian church and say, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of his present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places." When we think about spiritual warfare and and fighting, once again, there may be various views and things of it. There may be those of us who've grown up in a world where there's 
the devil's under every single rock and you've got to be careful. And then there are those of us who grew up in a world, we don't even think about that. Why is that even important? And then those of us get nervous about it. Christian friend, if you belong to the God of the universe, the God who spared you from judgment because of Christ, what we are asked to do is to be strong in what? The Lord. He is the one who has all authority. Pharaoh believed that he had authority. The devil thinks he has authority. He's not under. He has no authority. God is the one who has authority. Jesus himself who said, I have all authority. If you belong to him, go under his authority. The devil will tempt The world will proclaim it is God. But our focus is to be still and know that I am God. That he will be exalted amongst the nations. If you belong to him, you're under his care, under his authority. And even if that means he will use your stuttering words to proclaim the good news of the gospel. Who is the Lord? God is the one who is the Lord who hardens and softens, who displays his authority over all of creation, including you and I. Beautifully displayed in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you and bow at your feet, the one who is the great I am. May we rest in knowing that you alone are God your mighty name. Amen. Um, now, SMSs? Any? Yep. Hello. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I've been inundated with um, two questions. <clears throat> and I'm going to read them slowly so we can understand and hear what the questions are. The first one says, what is God doing when he hardens Pharaoh's heart? Is he creating additional disobedience or sin in his heart that wasn't there before? So let me read that again. What is God doing when he hardens Pharaoh's heart? Is he creating additional disobedience or sin in his heart that wasn't there before? Um, so I, I don't believe, um, we don't believe that um, God can make someone sin. Um, that's against God and his nature and who he is. So in this moment, uh, and so we've got to understand a couple of things. One, the purpose of God hardening Pharaoh's heart uh, is to ultimately reveal his purpose and his, um, to declare who he is. All right, so... Uh, it's not to sort of harden his heart, aha, now you've sinned, ha-ha, you know, that, that's not what God's doing, okay? Uh, God uh, already knows, uh, because he's sovereign, uh, that he, the Pharaoh's heart is hardened towards the God of the Bible. God is also hardening Pharaoh's heart to achieve his ultimate purpose. It's not a salvation thing. What it is, is about is displaying who God is and what he will do. If you, answer, if you ask that question, and if you don't think I've done a good job in answering, please come and chat to me. Uh, I'd love to chat further, and maybe if I think a bit more, we can write something up for you. I think that's important to note, uh, too, uh, that when a question comes, there's a couple of 
interesting ones, which I think they're great questions, could we do this, that we may not be able to answer exactly right there. We can have an idea, but we might need to think a little bit more too, as all of us need to be thinking about that as well. And here's an interesting one that's just come now too, Shabert, just says, does God harden sinners' hearts today? So we're coming out of the Old Testament, we're coming out of Pharaoh, um, God's hardening his heart there. And we're asking, does God actually harden sinners' hearts uh, today? And now I am being inundated. Stop it. <laughs> um, friends, what we'll do is, um, if I don't get to because I'm aware last time, last few times I've gone over time, I want to honour the kids' church teachers in particular, because uh, otherwise they hang on to these kids for on our behalf, and they'll come and say to me, Shabu, you said, uh, so I want to honour that. Uh, so these questions we will take away and we will answer them, okay? So we'll, we'll do that. So if you feel like, oh, you missed out, don't worry, we'll get to it. Uh, so the, ask the question again, sorry, John. Does God still harden um, hearts of people today? Sinners now. Yeah. Sinners. Uh, so um, uh, a great passage and, and um, book of the Bible, particularly in light of the cross and the empty tomb and Jesus who's risen, is to go through the book of Romans. Romans 1 speaks of this um, scene of people uh, turning away from the God, the Creator, and worshipping the Created. And God now hands them over. It's a, it's a visual picture of God saying, you want to worship that, that's what's going to happen. So there's a hardening of sinners, um, yes, uh, but I also, uh, there's hardening of hearts to achieve His ultimate purpose. Um, what I want to say, though is that God is still pursuing and still gracious and he will soften hearts. Um, and what I mean by that is when I hear people, and this is where I get a little, so I'm going to show you a little bit about my frustration a little bit. I might get in trouble for this later. When God hardens a sinner's heart, if you believe in the gospel and you are saved, I pray that will grieve your heart. God hardening, the creator of the universe hardening someone's heart, it's scary stuff, guys. So my reaction to that is to say, yeah, I think God does. I think that God will uh, also soften those he knows he will soften. I don't know who they are. So my, my, um, uh, my encouragement to you, and, and I'm going to say this out now because it will be on video, <laughs> you have theological um, things that we all have grown up with. I have too. And this particular view of God hardening and God's sovereignty, you have a view that will try to push it into something. I have a view of who God is and God's softening, hardening, and I want God to be this way, so I'll push it into the passage. Be careful about that. Okay? So the purpose of Exodus is not talking about God's hardness in the sense of what we might think theologically, or oh, that means that's about salvation. No, no, no. Exodus, and this particular passage, is talking about God hardening to reveal for his ultimate purpose to deliver his people. So then you move it towards the New Testament and you read that. So you, when you hear passages in Exodus, you've got to go, or any Old Testament, you've got to go, okay. Does Jesus talk about this passage at all? Uh, is it at all mentioned in the New Testament? Well, actually, the Exodus passage of hardening, it is. So you need to go there and go, well, how does that connect? 
right? And that will give you a sense again of, well, in the Romans passage, it talks about this particular passage is to show that God is the creator. So, yeah. Just, uh, just saying, um, thank you for your questions. There's a couple more there. If you've asked them, please come and present them to us and let's talk about that because they're fantastic questions. When it comes to this whole idea of hardening of heart, uh, is God doing it? Uh, are, we, are we doing it ourselves? Uh, I think one of the things that Shabu said earlier was the fact that God is sovereign is the answer and it's not simplistic it's not simplistic at all. It's actually that he is sovereign and there will be some things we don't understand. We talk about God as being the great I am. We've, we've spoken about that in the last few weeks. I've got this great idea for a t-shirt and it says, I am. That's God, right? I am. And the other bit says, and I am not. Because we are not, but he is the great I am. And so his sovereignty is amazing. And so the temptation, as Shabu is saying, is that we can be thinking one way, well, why is God doing that? Why is he being hard? But again, unless we understand his sovereignty and who he is, it's very, very difficult to do that. So I'd encourage you. And please, if you did ask these questions, and there's a couple of doozies, some really good ones, great, great ones. So please come and talk to us uh, about that as well. Yeah, and we, we'll put, put some sort of answers together with, through a video or some sort of way to, to actually answer these questions. So keep texting that number, John's number, uh, and we'll see if we can get to it. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and friends, um, there are, uh, this is just a pastoral note. Um, when we hear about God's hardening of heart, um, I know in our church, there are many of you who have loved ones. Loved ones who have grown up in the church, loved ones who have heard the gospel, uh, loved ones who are not in any kind of church community, who are not even looks like that. There might be a part of you that goes, oh, really? Is God hardening that? My encouragement to you is step back. Look to the one who still loves them and knows them and knows all the days of their life. And you cry out to God for mercy. You ask others to join you in prayer for them. I'm a testimony of that. God knows we don't, and we're called to be faithful to proclaim his good news. I'm going to invite the team to come up. Thanks.